From Capital Analytics, I'm Abby Maloney, and this is Invest Insights. Every week, we bring you perspectives, business advice, and more from the leading executives, entrepreneurs, and investors who are building, diversifying, and leading the way in the country's fastest-growing metro markets. Real leaders, real insights, right now. Welcome to Invest Insights. I'm Abby Maloney. I'm joined today by Byron Kirkland, the managing partner for Smith Anderson. Byron, how are you doing today? Great. Thank you, Abby. You know, we're going to be talking about the new economy that has been created due to the pandemic, looking at new business norms, how it's affected the legal sector and uh, and us moving forward. But before we get to the business side, I wanted to start by asking you on the personal side, did the pandemic create any new personal norms that you found yourself doing that you know you were going to continue with in the post-pandemic world? Any new interests or hobbies or technologies that you're now using uh, that is going to be uh, longstanding? Yeah, I think so, Abby. Uh, I think pre-pandemic, I would never work at home. Yeah, it was kind of a, a safe haven, and I would work in the office a lot. Uh, but during the pandemic, require you know having to work at home created all new habits. I am completely facile with working at home now, completely comfortable with that. And while we will return to the office, I can see myself now having the ability, technologically and otherwise, to work comfortably at home. Your firm was highly active in working with the North Carolina Chamber of Commerce, as well as other business organizations, to pass state legislated that granted immunity for individuals from negligence claim for contracting COVID-19. Why was this a critical piece of legislation uh, for the future of the local business community? And what would have been the ramifications for the business community should it have not been passed? Thanks. Without that legislation, businesses throughout North Carolina could not make important decisions about how to best take care of their people. I mean, we've all seen the challenges of mask requirements, social distancing requirements, access to buildings, whether to have live meetings or not. And those are just, those are all decisions businesses wrestle with every day during this pandemic. Uh, what this legislation has enabled uh, businesses to do is to make decisions that they feel in their best business judgment are best for their customers, their business, and their people. Without that legislation, they or run the risk of being unfairly judged by the decisions they do make. As an attorney with substantial experience in private equity and venture capital transactions, what were some of the most common missteps that you saw clients make in these spaces over this period of economic volatility? Candidly, I didn't see missteps by Hmm. our clients. We have a lot of venture capital and private equity fund clients. And fortunately for the businesses that they invest in, those businesses were not as devastated as so many consumer or retail-oriented businesses were. So candidly, did not see missteps by those clients. Although your clients didn't make the mistakes, what might have been mistakes that you watched um, maybe other firms' clients or industry-wide? Did you notice anything that happened there that you could maybe comment on? Yeah, I can certainly. Again, I'm not sure of missteps. I do know there you know, are a maze of regulations, both at the federal, state, and local levels that clients were wrestling with because of the pandemic. And we tried to be a resource for our clients in dealing with those. It's hard to say there were missteps. Again, reasonable minds can differ uh, as to what are the right decisions to be making, but we've just tried to be a resource and assist our clients in any way we could. How did handling the lack of in-person interaction and other difficulties associated with the transition to the digital world reshape or innovate your approach to how to handle in-person interactions, whether it be with clients or in courts and so on? It's really interesting. I think um, while the in-person 
interactions decreased greatly during COVID. Uh, the visual interactions increased just, just as much. Um, Pre-pandemic, we were very phone intensive uh, and had the occasional in-person interactions with our clients, but the vast majority of our interactions were by telephone. Because of the pandemic, and since in-person meetings were out of the question, the ubiquity of video calls became the norm. Uh, and that only increased our ability to, to see our clients. Yesterday, I was walking with my wife and a, a bicyclist uh, rode by uh, and said my, called my name and we stopped and visited. This is a client I had gained during the pandemic, had never met this person live ever. <laughs> but because of so many video calls with them, probably over a dozen, he instantly recognized me. Getting together in person on this walking trail was like seeing a long lost friend, completely because of the video relationship. Uh, never had met this person uh, live yeah. until till yesterday. Yeah. And now that we find ourselves in this new landscape, this new economy, what's next for Smith Anderson and the legal sector overall? Yeah, we're I expect we'll continue to grow to serve our clients. Uh, we've grown during the pandemic, adding lawyers, sure. adding service lines of business. I think the two biggest drivers in our business are value and service. Uh, and I know at Smith Anderson, we're laser focused on both of those. Well, thank you again. That's Byron Kirkland, the managing partner of Smith Anderson. My name is Abby Maloney. Byron, thank you again. Thank you, Abby. You've been listening to Invest Insights. Be sure to follow, rate, and review this podcast to hear more. I'm Abby Maloney. Thank you for tuning in. From Capital Analytics, I'm Abby Maloney, and this is Invest Insights. Every week, we bring you perspectives, business advice, and more from the leading executives, entrepreneurs, and investors who are building, diversifying, and leading the way in the country's fastest-growing metro markets. Real leaders, real insights, right now. Welcome to Invest Insights. I'm Abby Maloney. I'm joined today by Dr. Meredy Hancock, the president of Thomas Edison State University. Meredy, thanks so much for being with us. Thrilled to be here. So we're going to be talking about this new economy, this new landscape that has been created by the pandemic and new business strategies and operations and norms that will be uh, taken into the future past 16 months. But before we go there, I wanted to start off by asking you, what have been some personal norms that you changed or, or started uh, new hobbies, new interests that you will take with you in this post-pandemic world we are entering into? Well, let's say I'm going to answer in the aspirational. Okay. I believe this time of working at home, as you can imagine with the president, there's not really a clear delineation of work and not work as it is. But certainly being at home when you have it all together, there really is no delineation. And, and I've heard that from so many of my coworkers and our team here at Thomas Edison but I've become very purposeful at trying to create a break, go out. I, I like to ride my bike, work in the yard, do something that's a, very different than work, something physical. And my goal is to keep that up, is even when I come home from the office to take that break that's a little more of a punctuation mark between getting back on and checking emails and moving into kind of the nighttime flow of work. 
As the only public institution in the state of New Jersey that was specifically founded for adult education, what do you believe is the role of your institution playing in increasing access to cost-effective and equitable higher education for all? Thomas Edison was designed to complement New Jersey's traditional public education landscape. So in New Jersey, we're really fortunate. We've got institutions that serve all types of learners, from large, small, science, technology, liberal arts, urban, rural, and we even have one focused entirely on adult working students. So because of that, at Thomas Edison, everything we do is entirely focused to making our degrees relevant and workable for our students. Our students have so many demands in their life. They've got um, caretaking responsibilities, their children, their parents, certainly COVID brought that all home. They're trying to figure out uh, their career progression, where they're going to go, and they're trying to figure out how to pay for all of this. Sometimes they're fortunate and employers are paying. Other times they're on their own to pay. Some have already used up debt in other attempts at degrees or in their undergraduate degrees. So we're incredibly cognizant of that. A big way that we work through that is by recognizing learning wherever and however it happens. That means we really measure outputs versus inputs for students. We're pretty much an open access institution. We don't measure what you came in with. We measure what you go out with. And so if you can prove that you understand material while you're at Thomas Edison, some students will use uh, challenge exams. Some students will use training that their employers have developed that we have evaluated as college level worthy. Some people will use their own knowledge and experience and do personalized um, credit evaluation for that. And in that, we tend to take away uh, the, or the requirement for our adults to sit in classes where they already know the material. We let them really focus on the gaps. That accelerates their time to degree. I believe we've offered over about 80,000 credits last year in that manner to our students. So it's a significant time saver, resource saver, tuition saver, and it just really opens doors and puts our students that much more quickly to the path to degree completion. The pandemic revealed the vulnerabilities of most business se sectors to include the higher education sector. In your opinion, what are some of the most pressing needs of higher education institutes to address in a post-pandemic scenario in order to mitigate those lasting vulnerabilities? And what is your institution doing to address these issues right now? Traditional education and traditional universities are not exactly set up to be nimble, dynamic entities. Right. They've got fixed, they've got semi-fixed costs, they have a large reliance on auxiliary revenue sources, they've got extensive program development life cycles. Unfortunately, they tend to have outdated uh, technology and technology skills, and all of that came into a play during the pandemic. Um, that said, I think higher ed as a whole did a tremendous job responding to the changing public health and economic conditions. They got their traditional students home, they figured out how to deliver courses, Coming from an institution where we have highly curated online learning, I wouldn't call it online learning, but I said they went remote very quickly. They worked through it. My own daughter was a senior in college um, when the pandemic hit and had to wrap up her senior year, had to go through um, that process as a pre-med student, how to figure out how to still stay competitive. I think they did a great job. Edison, on the other hand, has, has a different model. Because our, our students are already employed in the field, we have to have a very quick turnaround on our program development life cycles. Right. Our students want to use what they've learned at work that day. So we've got to move very quickly with that. Um, 
for the pro and the con, we don't have the benefit of auxiliary services. We, um, we don't get the revenues from things like parking, dorms, dining halls. But when the pandemic hit, we also didn't go through that sudden withdrawal of funds. So that, that helped a bit. Um, we also happen to be very heavily, as you might imagine, heavily invested in hardware and software tools, technologies. So for us, we're really pushing forward um, on that piece. You know, we, we benefited a bit when people had to go remote. They thought, why not go to a school that already has really invested in it, has developed, has done it. I believe my traditional counterparts are looking more at how do they bring students back in the way that traditional coming of age, that face-to-face growth experience, Mm. but also learn from the pandemic. How do they take advantage of some of the opportunities that came from enhanced use of technologies, even if that's in a traditional classroom? How do they allow more flexibility for their students? So, and and how do they move off of some of that reliance on those fixed, or how do they move away from some of the fixed expenses and move off of some of the reliance of auxiliary funds that can get them trapped in what was a little bit of a perfect storm when the pandemic hit. So I think we'll see traditional ed opening back up in a traditional, in a largely traditional model. They, you know, they do a good job at the coming of age experience. They do a good job moving young adults into more full-fledged adults. And we'll see schools like Thomas Edison doubling down on the career forward education, on tracking what's happening in the industry and on leveraging our technology resources to have really strong, largely online programs. This summer, your school approved the decision to hold off a rate increase on tuition and keep in place the 10% rate reduction that was enacted last year for full-time students of New Jersey State students. How has your university strategized the budget and plan for this year in order to accommodate this decision while still remaining successful in the current economic environment? It's been a challenge, I'll be honest. <laughs> That's We consider all Thomas Edison students at risk because of the things I mentioned. They're working, they're raising a family, right. uh, they're caretaking, they may lose their job, a lot lost their job during COVID. And unfortunately, online students were excluded from a tremendous amount of the federal funding um, through COVID, and they're often excluded from state and other scholarship funds. So we always try and keep our tuition as low as possible. But this year, we thought and our board was on board with the idea that we've got to keep it low. Last year, we knew we had to make it more affordable. We knew with other institutions not sure how they were going to handle going between face-to-face and online, that we had to be a ready resource. So we lowered our tuition last year, as you mentioned. And, you know, we've been we've been really smart about what we do. We've invested our resources straight into our programs and our students. We, we keep our eye on that ball. And because we really only serve adult students, we can, we can focus in, we can zero in on it. And that's just what we're doing. We're keeping our belts tight, uh, being smart about what we do, investing in the things that matter. And, uh, you know, living within our means and keep trying to keep it within our students' means for the, for the next year. Now that we find ourselves in this new economy created by the pandemic, What's next for Thomas Edison University and the higher education sector overall? For Thomas Edison, it's staying up with our students. We had a, our student, our demand went up a bit during the pandemic and the demand of our students went up. They want to be very sure and think carefully about what's going to happen in the workforce, who's going to be hiring. And even now, as we're seeing a workforce shortage, 
I think our students know that as that settles, what type of skills are going to rise to the top? Where are going to be those better paying jobs, those better career ladders? So we're we're refocusing on our relationships with corporations, on our relationships with industry to say, what type of upskilling do you need in your own employees? How do we keep moving people up through the progression ladder? I think there's also been a large focus on how do we add more equity and inclusion within their workforce? So Thomas Edison is looking a lot at that. How are we creating good jobs and good educations across all demographics, getting more people into the solid benefits that come with a degree and a job? So we're we're focusing on that side quite a bit. Again, our students are different because they're in the workforce. Even our undergraduate students are in the workforce. All of our degrees are applied. We don't have heavy-duty research degrees. We're really looking at people who are Um, If they're in public policy, they're serving in public service. They want to make a difference. Um, If they're in the nursing field, they're applied. They're looking at how do I make a difference as a doctor in nursing? So all of our focus has been on that link with the career, the link with the educator, the link between the educator and the workforce. So that's, we're just doubling down on that coming out of, coming out of COVID and watching as they respond and what their needs are and how we handle it. I believe with traditional institutions, like I said, they're going to have to figure out how do we bring people back in a way that feels safe. You have a lot of nervousness around that. How do we um, rebuild some of those pieces? And knowing we may have to suddenly all go remote again, how do we keep that approach to it? I know, like I said, a lot of my colleagues are chomping at the bit to get their students back on campus. When you're 18 year old, you know, being on campus matters. A lot of those support systems matter. There's a lot more to it than really focusing on the academic content and the career relevance. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. That was Dr. Meredith Hancock, the president of Thomas Edison State University. My name is Abby Malone. Meredith, thank you again. Thank you very much, Abby. You've been listening to Invest Insights. Be sure to follow, rate, and review this podcast to hear more. I'm Abby Malone. Thank you for tuning in.